Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. My guest today is an amazing game developer who is probably most prominent for his time at Bluepoint Games, where he worked on Titanfall, Uncharted, Shadow of the Colossus, Demon's Souls, and more. I'd like to welcome Joe Houston. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to come on. Have you actually been to Houston, considering your surname <laughs> is <laughs> Houston? Uh, I lived in Texas for a while, like I think like every game developer. And so yeah, yeah I've been I've been to their airport for sure. <laughs> but that, that's the extent of it. I do have a cousin named Dallas Houston because uh, oh, my wow. uncle has a sick sense of humor. Uh, so he's named that forever. But it was funny for like a minute. <laughs> that's funny. It is funny. So uh, in terms of the games that you worked on at Bluepoint Games, in terms of everything from an engineering standpoint, can you think of a particular time where you were just really hard pressed to get something done or just couldn't solve a problem? You know, I think for Bluepoint more than anywhere else that I've worked, that was like everything. <laughs> it was, It was really just like, the thing about Bluepoint is that they, you know, they got, they're known for refactors, you know, yeah. not refactors, excuse me, like remasters yeah. and now, now remakes. And that's the kind of thing that you think like a publisher could just hire any studio to do like a quick remaster or something. But if Bluepoint's been hired for it, it's cause it's hard. <laughs> like <laughs> they don't get involved unless it's a really big IP or it's a very difficult problem, usually both. And um, Bluepoint was like, I, I used to get this a lot in interviews where they would say, you know, just so you know, we have really high engineering standards here. Everyone here could be a technical director at another company. I was always like, okay, whatever. Um, at Bluepoint, it was literally true because like at least half the people I worked with used to be technical directors at other game <laughs> studios. So um, yeah, it, you, you, they were all difficult problems. Um, but there was also like so much experience at the company that you pretty much uh, learned that it was like, we're just gonna do it. We're gonna figure out what it takes. We're gonna go through the steps. We're gonna trust in our staff and our ability. And we're just going to, uh, we're gonna figure it out because you're being paid to work on hard problems. And mm. uh, that's a feature, not a bug. Yeah, fair enough. That that said, <laughs> there there was a, a time on Titanfall that I think the whole engineering team will remember, where we had a a memory stop bug, which is it's just where something is accessing a piece of memory that it's not supposed to, and so and the code's continuing to execute, so it'll just write a value into memory that um, doesn't make sense for it to be there. So it'll break a completely unrelated piece of code. And they're, they're very difficult to find usually. But like I said, we had like this major amount of engineering brain power there. The entire engineering team worked on that one bug, tried to find that memory stomp for um, at least a week. It was like an unbelievable amount of manpower. Wow. And it was one of those things where 
at first it was just like, please don't let it be mine. Like that, that was the <laughs> only, cause at that point it's like, you don't want to be that guy. But then after a while it was like, it's okay if it's mine, just, we just got to find this thing. We need to move on. You know, it was, it was like a hard crash. It was reproducible, but like not every time. So it was, uh, it, that was a stressful time. Yeah. What Titanfall, especially like what you guys pulled off with that game was awesome. Like, I don't know how you managed to do it considering obviously it was catered to more powerful hardware and you're downgrading. So I suppose when you're downgrading stuff, there's certain, you've got to work out exactly what parts you can take out and what stays without the whole thing breaking. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, downgrading is definitely harder than upgrading. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it was also a co-development relationship. So we were working on that product while Respawn was um, working on shipping their product. So we weren't working with final code, like on other projects, the game had been like Shadow of Colossus, the game had been done for decades. So it was all there, you know, Yeah. for uh, Respawn uh, or for uh, Titanfall. I, I actually had experience when I worked at Arcane, which is a French company. Uh, we had the French team and the US team. And I used to, it was almost like a co-development relationship. So I got really used to like, tracking the changes that were coming in from France and trying to divine like, you know, where they're going and where we needed to be. And that was a big part of my job on Titanfall. I remember I, I was responsible for taking their code drops and integrating them, um, you know, which is just, just basically keeping us up to date with what they're doing, but also making sure that the direction we were going with stuff, we were, we were hopefully going the same way they were going. Um, so yeah, it was a big challenge. Yeah. Because like with Titanfall or FPSs in general, there's always a lot going on. And then obviously with Titanfall, you know, you've got people, you've got the Titans. So like, there's mm -hmm. so many things you have to balance all at the same time while trying to manage all these different factors. So was there sp something specifically that was just really hard to pin down? Um, the co-development relationship was a big challenge for sure, because we were, we had to optimize, um, but the game wasn't finished yet. So there were whole new features that would come in and we were like, well, this isn't going to work uh, with what we've got. And, uh, you know, we kind of had to pivot, you know, frequently and, um, Would 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 notes would oh sorry I was gonna say would notes come in from um, respawn like every week? We actually didn't communicate with the team directly. We communicated with their code base. Like we saw oh, the right. changes come, but we we didn't have like direct communication with them as often. And to be honest, that is actually the kind of relationship that we were used to, um, and and was the relationship that we would tend to have with the the games we were working on as we moved forward because like a lot of times we would have the disc that the game shipped on or you know an archive of the disc that the game shipped on and we would reverse engineer everything like you know there were a lot of times where it just was better to go to the the absolute authority which was 
you know, code on the disk, assets on the disk, just uh, as opposed to like trying to, to navigate like a really difficult relationship. Oftentimes we're working for the publisher and the original game is, you know, maybe that team has moved on and uh, that sort of thing. I think with Respawn, they were just really focused on getting their game done. And uh, I imagine it, that it was probably a publisher imperative to get the Xbox 360 version going. And that was like the least of their concerns. But again, I think that's why you hire a blue point for a job like that, you know, mm -hmm. back before Sony acquired them, which was like peace of mind that it's going to get done and we'll just figure it out. Mm. You did mention earlier that obviously a lot of games made by Bluepoint uh, Blue were remakes, but um, prior to Sony acquiring them, was there any dabbling of ideas to possibly doing an original IP? Or are you just constantly being approached all the time to just do remakes from all these different companies? Um, you know, Bluepoint definitely could have as many contracts as they wanted. Um, they, they, they had a very good reputation, which uh, I think was well-earned. And it was something that impressed me about Bluepoint and is the reason that I stayed there as long as I did, is I felt like they signed good contracts, they made uh, good relationships, and everyone they worked with went away happy, you know, which yeah. isn't always the case. Sometimes the publisher-developer relationship can be kind of acrimonious, but... Um, for the most part, I think Blue Point, that was probably the place where I most learned the how to be a professional game developer. I had been a professional game developer for some time <laughs> yeah, when I started working for them. <laughs> but like just in terms of leave your ego at the door, you know, you may you you may have to make difficult decisions, you know, difficult things might come down, things might not go your way like that's the job and we're here to do a job and we're here to make the best thing that we possibly can for the fans for the publisher for the original developers like we were beholden to so many people on every single project mm. and and the atmosphere there was just like okay let's do it you know let's talk it through let's figure it out they had great transparency which i haven't had at every place that i've worked where it's like hey you know, uh, we need to make this change. And here's like the 10 reasons why I know that you don't want to do it. I don't want to do it, but we're doing it anyway. <laughs> and at least for me, having like all, he heard all those reasons made that kind of thing. Uh, not just easy to stomach. It was more like I felt unified with my, like my managers and, uh, and knew like the direction that we were going to go. I was like, okay, that makes sense. You know? And uh, so that, that level of professionalism, I think is why Blue Point was always in high demand. Mm. I did. I, the Blue Point does have their own internal engine, which they've talked about, you know? So like, there was always this sense of like, where are we going to go in the future with this engine? and everything and like what kinds of things do we want to build and every one of blue points projects was like building to something else you know each each thing informed the thing before it and uh so in terms of like where their where their thoughts about other things like 
Sure, I would say there are always thoughts. Um, and I'm I'm no longer with the company, but I'm excited to see where they go next. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of extracting information or data, I suppose, from the older games and then trying to put it into Bluepoint's engine, uh, mm-hmm. on a difficulty scale out of 10, where, where would that lie? Like how easy or how difficult was that to actually do? Really varied based on the project. Um, it was, I think it was one of those things that like just based on my regular engineering experience sounded scary as hell. Like I just didn't, it just seemed like horrific. Like uh, there's no way that we should try and do it this way. But then it was one of those things where we just did it and you just learn to start trusting the people around you, trust your experience and like trust the fact that this process has worked a bunch of times before. And uh, it ended up, uh, it actually ended up going fairly smooth, uh, I would say for Demon Souls. Like by that point, I think we'd really hit our stride where for those remakes, there was always this period of time where like the, um, there's nothing on screen. (laughs) Um, It's just like, in fact, you would hope for a black screen because it was, it would crash before, like, it could even show anything, you know, and you would, you would just, like, slog away at it, just trying to get it to the point where, like, basically the video uh, driver is actually, like, doing anything, and then next it's like, okay, I got to see something for one frame before it crashed, you know, like, that kind of thing, and uh, by the time we got to Demon's Souls, like, we had the whole game playable, like, pretty quickly, and that kind of showed, um, it showed like the maturity of our process, but it also showed the, the uh, how comfortable we were going to be in that code base too. Right, right. I know with Shadow of the Colossus, you did like a lot of um, QA or what is it, bug, bug reporting and, and debugging. How difficult was that to do? So I'm a, a generalist uh, programmer, so like I could do anything. But I have a special like uh, fondness for tools, basically. Right. And so, um, yeah, one of the, one of the big projects in the shadow era was the bug reporter, and uh, a lot of credit for that goes to my um, manager Peter Dalton. He's the tech director there. Um, but um, it it is something that we got a lot of benefit out of. It was. Uh, it was, it was interesting. It's a workflow problem, like more than anything, um, trying to figure out like how everybody works and what tools they actually need as opposed to like what they want. You know, there's that old uh, idiom or not as the old quote from Henry Ford. If I asked people what they wanted, they would have asked for faster horses. Um <laughs> And that, and that would certainly happen. You get requests. It's like, I, I wish that I could do this, this one broken part of my process even faster. Um, and this was a thing where we were trying to be, give them more than what they were asking for. It was a pretty slick package at the end there. Um, and then sometimes we'd overreach and give them more than what they ended up actually needing, you know, and those features would kind of lay fallow. And then we would, uh, probably end up taking that stuff out because it was like a distraction but uh overall that was it was a really cool tool 
um, we had this like standalone uh, program and it could connect to the game running anywhere on the PC, PlayStation 4, like any platform that we supported. And uh, if you're running around in game, you could just hit a button and say like bug report. And it would, not only would it pull up the bug in like our, the separate bug tracking software that we used, but it would also capture data from the game, like the current save data, like we could do anything. So like every game we could write little, these little bits of code that would say like what kinds of stuff you wanted to gather. So yeah, like camera position, player position, you know, and then stuff that like related to like that specific game. And then when you were, uh, you could pull any bug up in that same tool and just click like, um, click a button and then it would like snap the camera to that location or it would load that save file at that location or it, it made certain kinds of QA tasks super easy to, uh, to verify hmm. on the developer side. Like QA logs the bug, but as a developer, you could pull the bug up and immediately go there and say you're an artist, you could see, look and see like, oh yeah, it was fixed or, oh, that is an issue and, you know, go from there. So what was the biggest problem or the, the most common bug that you found in Shadow of the Colossus? <laughs> in Shadow? Yeah. Um, so for these remakes, parody was like a really important thing where you hear this talking about it all the time, which mm. was like making sure we worked at least as well as the old game before we changed anything. So parody issues were always difficult. Um, and it's one of those weird things like these remakes, because we used actual source code from the original games. We would run our tech in one let like long this way and their tech along this way. And then we would just communicate back and forth. Um, and so because of that, in theory, we had 100% parity at first, but there are all these like little issues because we were trying to uh, go from completely different hardware to some other set of hardware and they'd show up in, in really weird ways. Um, I gotta say though, that the hardest stuff working on Shadow was actually, I would me and uh, this other engineer named Ted, we split all the new features, like all the things that we were going to change, not just the looks, but like actually change the functionality. And we would, we would do all that work in the original engine. So having to make those gameplay changes in a Japanese code base where almost all the data was in an Excel spreadsheet in Japanese um, was, that was a big pain. I do remember that being <laughs> difficult. So what, do you use a translator in that case? Or did you have somebody at Bluepoint that can speak Japanese or translate the Japanese? We had a tool that would translate source code comments that were all in Japanese. So we had done that much. We had did not bother to translate the spreadsheet data for Shadow because we were like, it'll be okay. We'll use Google Translate. I got, I got really used to reading the word sword in Japanese. <laughs> Um, but I had a negative enough experience on shadow <laughs> that by the time we got to demon souls, I, I personally really pushed to translate all of the game data, which was, which was much more difficult, uh, but we did, I, I actually, that was actually my job. So like I would extract the data everywhere I found it, translate it and repack it so that we had at least Google translate quality uh translations of things it was tricky because when you translate like a spreadsheet data that's actually imported by the game 
like you can't you have to like make everything match because if something yeah if something's like a good enough translate and and it was a thing i found too where google translate would return different translations for the exact same um phrase like two different days like they they were updating whatever they do so i'd run it and all of a sudden the game beta would change and i was like oh the translation changed <laughs> so how much how much time does that actually save so from the time you were doing it on shadow versus the time on demon souls when it become a lot more uh better i suppose in terms of the process like how much time does it actually save it's one of those tricky things in game development, which is like, if something, if you're just going to be a little bit of pain, just suffer through, it's going to be fine. But like, if you can make a case, you know, that it's going to accumulate, then, then it's worth like the extra engineering time. So that's why we didn't translate Shadow. And it was excruciating working <laughs> with that Japanese data. And it was one of those things too. And this isn't just that project. This is any game project where it's like the whole time you're like, I really think we should just figure out how to translate this. But you're like, oh, we're already this far. It won't be that much longer. We'll just deal with it. And then you do that for like three months or whatever. And then <laughs> at the end of the project, you're like, I am never doing that uh, again. And uh, so on demons, so I would say it's hard to say like how much harder would it have been without the Japanese, but a uh, translation, but demon souls had like all this conversation stuff. They had like these conversation trees and I don't think I could have made hide it. You know, I could not have figured out that data if I had not translated it. Did you, did you consider trying to learn basic Japanese at any point? <laughs> Um, when it became I, apparent that like you guys are going to be doing more Sony-based remakes or Japanese-based games. Yeah, I mean, I, I took a semester of Japanese in college and I've done nice. a lot of uh, localization work. Um, so I know, like academically, I know plenty about Japanese. Like I know the three alphabets and like... Uh, you know, how kanji like work together and like the kinds of things that you, you need to know to do localization. But like, there's no way that <laughs> I'm going to read it out of fluency to like, you know, you know, or, or at any kind of speed. I'm, um, and then of course with localization, it's like, I had to do the same, learn the same thing about Indonesian and Arabic. Shadow of the Colossus was the first Arabic game I had ever localized. Wow. First game I'd ever localized to Arabic. So that was a new experience, which I found exciting. So I think I think it's exciting to bring games to, to new uh, audiences that, that haven't read it before or haven't experienced it before. Yeah, because localization is it takes quite a long time just to do one language, doesn't it? So like if you're dealing with like Europe, for example, which has you know hundreds of languages. Mm. Like how how much of it how much of the um duration of time does it add just to one it, language it really depends like um you do start to learn the engineering challenges of languages there is like the content side of it right and mm. that's that's weirdly i think it's one of those things that like if you wanted to do an amazing job at localization it's very challenging, like for the people doing the localization, but that that decision's usually out of my hands. Like that's the publisher 
call like they go find the people to do the localization yeah um but how we present the data to the localizers like i i'm pretty passionate about that just like because i'm passionate about tools but also like if you're playing a game in another language that I've worked on, I want it to be as much like the game we made as possible, you know? And, uh, and I want like your culture and your expectations to be taken seriously. Hmm. Um, so like for Arabic, for example, like that was a big deal because Arabic is a, a right to left reading language instead of left to right. Um, and that at first it's like, okay, well, we just flip everything, right? But like culturally, we because of the way we read, we evaluate everything from left to right and top to bottom. Mm. Like it's something I learned when I took a, a film classes, is that like you you read movie frames left to right, top to bottom. And if you are born in another country where that's not the norm you don't, you read the print, like someone who is fluent in Arabic first, you know, they, they might evaluate the world right to left instead of left to right. Right. And I think I was evaluating Shadow of the Tomb Raider or something at the time, which is, there weren't a lot of games that had Arabic, uh, but they, but they did. And they had definitely taken the, um, the more cost effective approach, just like, you know, it's the same layout, but we're just going to flip you know, the alignment everywhere we can and everywhere where it's hard, we won't. Um, I kind of went on a, a nitpicking crusade to just like, I just wanted to evaluate every UI screen. I also did the UI for Shadow. Yeah. Uh, not, the, not the art, but the engineering. And I just wanted, I was always trying to approach it, you know, not being a native uh, Arabic speaker or reader myself. It's just like, how is this supposed to look? You know, like at what what makes what what is the exact right way to do this? There was even a period of time where I flipped the whole uh, intro screen to be so that the the text could be exactly on the right and uh, and framed the way an Arabic reader might expect it. Um, Peter made me uh, undo that because it. Uh, it would have required the entire opening intro to be uh, mirrored. And he was like, forget it. Um, <laughs> but so I, I compromised there, but uh, in general, I was like, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to do a good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What well, was something like Shadow of the Colossus, which is a near perfect game anyway, when it was released, like what, how do you decide what to improve on? Right. I mean, the only thing I could think you could possibly change is like maybe the camera. And I know you modded, modernized the control scheme a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Um, so uh, a mantra that you would hear inside the walls at Bluepoint a lot, because I would say Bluepoint is fairly um, conservative or has been fairly conservative when it comes to gameplay. Uh, changes it's it's like yeah there there is this sense that like the original game was good like you know i don't th i think everything we worked on was like a super important game to a lot of people um but what we wanted to do was to make the game that you remember playing because if you go back and play those original games they are not like how you remember they evoke a certain feeling because of the technology at the time, because of who you were at the time, you would have um, 
this experience, right? And that's what you remember about the game. You go back, you don't remember in Shadow, the draw distance was like this far away, you know, with like all this fog. You probably don't remember the control scheme being contrary to every like uh, convention <laughs> that games take nowadays. You don't remember that it ran at like 10 to 15 frames per second a lot of the time, you know? So like our original thing is like, okay, what do we, what do people say about it? And it's like, let's make sure we make that, you know? Right. Um, I have another little anecdote there where I, I used to work for Arcane. I worked on the original uh, Dishonored. And yeah. that was part of the, that was an original IP. So like everything was on the table, you know, it's like we were going to build the game however we wanted it. And uh, Raph Colantonio and Harvey Smith, who are the co-creative directors, they loved Thief. They had this like, huge connection with Thief. And Thief was a, a big uh, touchstone for the early days of Dishonored, especially. And they told me, I was, and I wrote the much of the player movement package, like the, the way that the player moves and interacts. And they told me that they, they liked how in Thief, you know, everything was snappy and responsive, but also there was this smoothness to everything. Everything was perfectly smooth had this ease in and out, but also like responded instantly, which is like, by the way, two totally contradictory things. So they were like, so just do it like Thief. And so I did a bunch of stuff and they kept saying like, no, 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 it's gotta be like Thief. So I finally got the original Thief and Thief 2 and like, I, and I installed them and I played them and none of that shit was in that game. <laughs> like it was how they remembered the game being and the thing is, I didn't make it invalid feedback. Like I totally got what they were saying, but it was it was funny because I was like, I'm finally going to figure out how to do this. And I played it. I'm like, it's not in here. So <laughs> I just got to figure it out. So did you tell them though? Would you be like, hey, I just played it. This I is did. not I did like tell. how you remembered. <laughs> I did tell them and they were like, oh, okay. Well, we want it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So when you worked on the Uncharted collection, because mm -hmm. it was three games, three games, yeah. and obviously at the time they were modern anyway, because mm -hmm. I, those would have been small little things that you were just updating. For the most part, except mainly, there was a bit more of an update on Uncharted 1, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so for gameplay, we modified, we modified Uncharted 1 quite a bit. And actually, yeah. that, I, I did that. Nice. Um, Kynan, uh, Pearson was creative director at the time. So he and I worked on that a lot. Um, there was some modernization. It was challenging because we didn't have a, a Naughty Dog's full tool set. We had it, but it was so old and we had so many requirements that we made a judgment call not to use it. So I had to do a lot of those gameplay improvements, like right down at the metal, <laughs> like without <laughs> tools. Um, but we figured it out, you know, it was like, uh, as I recall, it was, it was like auto equip grenades, like, you know, so you could throw a grenade with a grenade button and then switch back to your original weapon, whereas you had to switch to the grenade weapon and push the button before and, you know, it wasn't great. And we rebalanced the game for difficulty because I remember it was way out of, it was way out of line with the other games. Um, and there were a lot of like bullet sponges in that game, just like guys who you had to shoot like a million times in the head. And it just, it just was like a really different game, like very different pacing. 
Um, so that was, yeah, that was a good amount of work. There was a lot like, so I remember for not for Uncharted, just getting those games to run on the PS4 was a really big deal. Um, because Naughty Dog, they're um, super hardcore engineers and they've been first party for a long time. And that's kind of their job is to deliver um, crazy cool uh, experiences that only work on Sony's hardware or show Sony's hardware to the its utmost ability. Right. So the original games were very tuned to the PlayStation 3 and the SPUs. And the PlayStation 4 is a pivot in the other direction. It doesn't have SPUs, generalized processors again. Hmm. And uh, and yeah, just getting the thing to run uh, was a really huge job. Um, I do know that I, I heard a rumor anyway that Naughty Dog felt like only they could do that, um, like only they could <laughs> could could uh, bring their their game across those hardware platforms. So it was nice that we we did so, achieve that goal. Too. So it was good to flex and be like, yes, <laughs> well. <laughs> we could do it as well <laughs> it's good to it's good to meet the expectations that that sony had for that project at least yeah yeah so doing that was a big deal uh hitting 60 instead of 30 frames per second was a pretty big deal um because like you said they you know generationally they were pushing the ps3 pretty hard so for us to get it on playstation 4 and run it twice as fast like that was a big deal um and we did a lot of stuff like there's a lot of things that was that were done that I think only, uh, you know, only us and Digital Foundry like <laughs> noticed um, <laughs> who are playing the games like side by side. Like we rendered all the um, opening cinematics, you know, at uh, uh, whatever. We, I think we went to 4K on the opening cinematics. And uh, there were all these like little art assets that were changed like all over the place. Um, Mm. yeah there were again it was like the i think the goal there was this should be the absolute best version of these games that you could possibly play and i think with the exception of like uh needing to drop multiplayer uh i think we achieved that yeah it was certainly a good value i felt like you know so with all of those games was it very difficult to maintain a constant frame rate um like when you're upgrading it like oh yeah i mean yeah. for starters it ran awful sure <laughs> um <laughs> but then that was because we were making a lot of uh, compromises to just get the thing to run um one of my jobs was sony has uh um not sony excuse me naughty dog famously has their own internal scripting language that they've used on all their projects um and it wasn't compatible with 64-bit processors, at least in the version that we had. And I had to, like we were doing the thing where we would load it up and make the changes to it on the fly and then run it. And it obviously would run absolutely terribly. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was given the job to like go into a dark room and, um, and actually convert all the data, convert the, um, interpreter to convert all that stuff and like just make it all work and that was a thing where like i worked and worked and worked with nothing on the screen for days and days and days and then all of a sudden 
Nathan Drake's like hanging from the train there. I do remember I was like, I just was like, oh my God. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and then it was still kind of broken. But once that change was made, I remember it like doubled the frame rate just because like we knew it was big bottleneck. Um, and there was like a lot of stuff like that. Like we'd hit a problem, something that ran really fast before because it was on an SPU. I'm like, how are we going to fix this now? And then we, we just churn through the problem and then get these big, uh, big performance, big performance improvements. But were you working on all three games literally at the same time? Like even yes. though it came out as one package. So you wouldn't just work on one and then move to two and then three. So you're actually working across all yeah. three at the same time. We had deliverables for all three games at once, I think. They were staggered, as I recall. Um, it was, uh, and, and it, I think for necessity, sometimes we put like all the resources on one game, but we definitely shipped all three at the same time. Like we were doing QA on, on Uncharted 1, 2, and 3, like as we went up to gold, right. which was a big lift for the QA department, by the way. like. Our, our QA department did a lot of really important work and I don't think QA ever gets as much love as they deserve. Um, and they were super important to uh, blue point success. Remember I talked about like parody checks, like check the old game, check the new game. So they, they were playing three games and they were playing the PlayStation three version of those games and the PlayStation four version of those games that we just made and like checking them. And it was an wow. enormous amount of work. So from a scripting standpoint, when you're uh, moving everything to the PS4 version, would it get easier? So say like the scripting moving Uncharted 3 to PS4 was a lot easier than moving 1 to 4. As I recall, we picked 2 uh, to start with. It was like, oh. I think I think it was arguably the most successful or most well-known of the games. Was, I guess it's I considered the best one of the three. Right. Yeah. I don't I don't think we were thinking about it in that terms, but more just like this is like the like this is probably where the demo will be. This will be, you know, like this is the one. Yeah. The chain trace sequence, all that's so super iconic. And it was a midpoint between Uncharted One and Three. Um makes sense. And I would say in so yeah, definitely the work we did on each game informed the work on the other games, but they they definitely all have their own things. Um, and it was a trick too, like how much do we save and reuse between these games and how much do we um, just like keep them in their own little sandbox? Because they definitely weren't compatible <laughs> with each other. Like you could see the evolution of the tech as you went through it. Um, but uh, but it is it one of those interesting things that they all had to run on the same version of our code base, but like their code base, like how much of that are we refactoring basically? And every time we change something, we introduce the possibility that we made the game different. And I think Bluepoint always prided itself on being a hundred percent. Like if we've changed something, it was because we meant to do it, mm. you know? And we found a lot of bugs in the original code base that we verified were there in PlayStation 3. And sometimes there would be debates about whether we would fix those bugs or not. Um, just because, we, you know, we didn't want to, we wanted to make the experience better, but there was always a risk that by fixing a bug will change the game in some way, you know. Mm. 
So from a personal standpoint, do you prefer working on original IP or doing remakes? And I suppose <laughs> what's what's easier? Like Because I think some people think that making a re- remake of an old game would be easier than doing an, I, an original IP. But in some ways, I would think it would be more difficult because you've got to live up to the expectations of the original. It depends on uh, the project, for sure. And it depends on how good a job you want to do. Um, if you take it very, very seriously, I think remakes, remasters, um, they can be extremely challenging, especially as an engineer. Um, but original IP work is super hard too, because it's like all about iteration and throwing away code over and over and over again, throwing away work over and over again, hoping that you're learning something, trying to find something that's fun. Um, personally, I, I I describe myself as an omnivore, like, uh, like whatever it is, I'll eat it. Like I play all kinds of games. Like I don't have a favorite genre. Um, like I, so I, I love games. I love all kinds of games and game developing wise. Like, let's just say that I can find a way to be jealous of everybody who's working on something that I think is cool. That said, I think I got the remake remaster thing out of my system. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, what, how long were you at blue point for? Uh, like almost six years. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. Especially in game dev world. You yeah, know, where yeah. where you're an old man by 41 is how old I am now. <laughs> um, I I do have a soft spot for original. I, I like creativity in general. Like I just want to be a part of it. Yeah. But so with all the remakes that you worked on at Blue Point, had you played the original before you were allocated to work on it? Or did you find out and then start playing the game to kind of prepare you for it it varied um like uncharted uh uncharted 2 was like had this big impact on me as a gamer like i remember playing that train sequence and just being like blown away um so when i knew when i heard we were doing the uncharted games i was really excited um and i hadn't act- now i hadn't actually played uncharted 3 i'd played uncharted 1 and uncharted 2 so 3 was new to me um so there was a little catch up there. Um, and I did spend some time playing the game. There were some sequences I did not play until we were going gold. And and it wow. was everybody's job to play the game from start to finish at their uh, desk. Yeah. Because sometimes you play certain things over and over and over again because they're hard. But other chunks of the game just like kind of work. And so as an engineer, I don't get, I don't get directed there, you know, so... Mm. So there is sometimes I do like to play the games that I've worked on at home, like after they come out. And that's like a completely different experience as well. Um, at the risk of admitting something that will infuriate people, I had not played Shadow of the Colossus <laughs> when I started working on it. Um, I had, uh, and so I, I got the... I got the PS3 remaster. I don't yeah. know if people remember, but Bluepoint remastered it once before. They yeah, remastered yeah. it again. So I, I I tried to play the PS3 version of Shadow, and I did find the control scheme extremely frustrating. Uh, and didn't get as far. 
And then I started playing the game as soon as we changed the controls. <laughs> and uh, I loved it. I thought the game was great. Uh, That's hilarious. <laughs> just, just 100% honesty there. I, I, I do really appreciate the game. And I got a ton of history from it. Um, just from studying it, like we had access to a lot of old, uh, like their old E3 reveal when I, I think, I don't know if it was a, I think it was officially called Nico uh, at one point, which is a Japanese pun because it's a uh, Ico, uh, you know, was the first, was his first game. Yeah. And then Nico, Ni is two in Japanese. So Nico, Eco ah. two. So there's this old, I don't think it's an E3 video. I forget what, but like these guys with the big horns, like Eco had riding horses and like, you know, fighting a big Colossus. Like, so there's this, this is all public knowledge. I'm not like, I'm not going to get in trouble. I don't think, <laughs> but uh, you, you just see it, it's something that I don't know if people talk about a lot, but like just the archeology span in like, writing code especially in old code bases like you can see all the little decisions they've made and all the things they've abandoned you know things that are in there part way but like commented out Japanese code bases have it especially because they value um they weirdly because they're so collaborative uh, uh or were so collaborative I, I haven't seen a modern Japanese code base the individual people would be kind of siloed off from each other. So you'd have like whole code base, whole little segments of the code base that are just uh, like they're in a folder with that guy's name on it. And they've oh. got like his version of doing everything. And I think the idea is to be independent and not, not drag on the other members of your team. But because of that, there's like, it's personalized. Like you can see their, um, their effect on the code base and like their approach to things. So like you get to know individual people in there. Um, that is something that I appreciated on Shadow more than any of the other projects. It had a lot of character like at the code level. Yeah, and I suppose there's only the main character and the Colossus that you really have to work on. You don't have to worry about NPCs or any, anything like that. Well, there's Agro, the horse, yes, who, of was, yeah, who was plenty of work. Um, <laughs> and, and a lot of little details, like the birds. Um, like the birds are really important. You know, like the there's yeah. a bird, like in the altar, there's a bird for every one of the colossi that you've defeated. Like there are all these little details, like all through the game, and you have to get them all right, or you're definitely <laughs> going to make somebody upset. <laughs> Did you get to work in conjunction much with the late, great Andy O'Neill during your time? I, am, I consider myself fortunate that I did know Andy a little bit. Um, he worked on Titanfall a lot. Like Marco Thrush and, and Andy were both, uh, they, they're, they were both working programmers. Like they worked every day on the code. They weren't just managers. And Marco still is as far as I know. Mm. Um, and Andy... Andy was a character. He was uh, always wanted to talk. Like no matter what he was doing, he would want to go deep on like some idea that he had. And so I got to have a lot of cool conversations with Andy. Um, he ended up kind of pivoting into one of his own projects for quite a while. And then, and then he did uh, pass away, which was very sad. Um, but uh, 
I'm really glad to have gotten to know Andy. I know some of the guys who started like even one or two years after me, I don't think knew him hardly at all. Hmm. You mentioned that he might have an idea. Can you give me an example of an idea that he had that he could go super in depth with? It'd be like anything, right? Like, uh, <laughs> like the politics of uh, running a game company and how you should take care of people and, you know, or it's like a super deep code thing. Uh, I think he was, he was very into voxels as I like at the time, you know, so he had an idea for like an entirely new way to do rendering. Um, so that was something that he uh, would love to talk about. And, and I, I, uh, uh, I was very game like for new ideas. So I would, I think, entertain him, <laughs> entertain those <laughs> ideas. Like I, he just loved to, like, he loved to talk about stuff, you know, and anyone who wanted to talk about stuff, he was, he was up for it. Yeah. Now I've read and I'm always skeptical when I read stuff online, but I've read that the motto of Blue Point Gains was work smarter, not harder. <laughs> is that is uh, that true? Or I never heard, true? I never I never heard that, but I would but I would say that is true. Sure. <laughs> um, we also worked really hard. Oh yeah, I'm not saying you guys didn't uh, work hard, but work smart basically is what that yeah. analogy means. Yeah. Not I not think, just working hard without being smart about it. Bluepoint was the first studio I worked at too, where like, because of that professionalism, uh, and not that I didn't crunch for Bluepoint, uh, that happened, but like, as we moved on, it became more and more a sense of like, we're not going to crunch on the engineering team. We're going to figure out like what we need to do and we're going to plan. And, and always a sense of like, if something didn't work out, like why? And you know, how can we prevent that next time? And definitely I work for Discord uh, now, uh, mm. making making games for Discord and have a little bit more of a leadership role on, on the game side of things there. And that's something that I've continued to evolve, which is just like no crunch, <laughs> you know, like better planning. Yeah. Well, that seems like the industry has a big problem with that in terms of crunch. But I've always oh, had sure. that, Yeah, but like Marco... Like say, you know how you have people at the management level that are quite disconnected from the people in the trenches, but like say Marco, for example, he's still yeah. very much a part of that world and he came up from that world. So he probably has a better understanding of it. So that affects or uh, works in with the culture, I suppose, to make sure yeah, that there's I, more, more I transparency you were talking about. I, yeah, I think that's totally true. Like, Bluepoint is was a very good company to be an engineer at because all the founding members were engineers uh, and and not past tense like they were engineers now and so anything that would make your job easier or better as an engineer was not a thing you had to like argue about or figure out like you said oh I need to refactor this they would be like okay you know um, everybody got giant monitors you know which is sometimes sometimes you had to justify every expense but like they just gave it to you because they're like yeah you need a big monitor it's like awesome what, what do you define as a big monitor like how big are we talking uh dual 32 inch monitors oh, yeah. i think okay 
So when you first joined Bluepoint, was it a bit of a culture shock in a good way then as a result? Um, both, both good and some not as good because I came from, I did an indie thing for a while and it was extremely stressful and Bluepoint was super stable and everyone was very professional. Everyone was older. Almost everybody had kids. Like that was a huge change. And that was a relief. Like I was a new father at the time. My daughter has has special needs and had like a traumatic birth, which is one reason why my indie thing was so complicated and difficult. So that was a good place to like catch my breath. Um, at the same time, I was used to like work being like kind of rough in terms of like a uh, lot of like heated arguments and um and late hours and whatever but also like all my best friends like work with me and we do like just you know board games at lunch and we talk about games constantly and we we go we do everything together and uh there because of that professionalism it was just kind of like no we're here to work um you know, it was like deadly quiet, like all the time in the engineering pit. And that was, uh, that was an adjustment for me, for sure. Um, I ended up getting to be friends with Kynan, the, the creative director, and uh, their, their little room of like designers was a little more fun vibe. So I, I, I got to visit them sometimes and, you know, that all evened out, but, but definitely it was a change. I, I think there's some, uh, some give and take. With, yeah with those things yeah yeah final question before i wrap up but i know you're a bit of an illustrator as well right you're a bit of an artist very little bit very well, <laughs> well you can draw obviously As i'm working on it <laughs> i would like to draw so um you didn't do any drawing or you didn't comment to any or take in anything from the artists at blue point while you were there i love artists i I love game developers just in general. I, yeah. I like to hang with everybody. I, like I said, think of myself as an omnivore. When I first broke into the game industry, I had just been making stuff on my own and like trying to turn it into a game. And I turned up and I had, I, I'd made 3D models and I'd made textures and I'd done my own animation and I'd written a game engine for it and an editor. And then I'm also a writer. So I had all these writing samples and I wrote a game design document and I was like, here, you want to hire me? And they're like, what are you? <laughs> and, uh, and they said, how about you code? Cause that was something they needed. And that's how I became an, a computer programmer. Really? That's how it happened. That's, hilarious. that's how it happened. I just wanted to make games and, uh, it's still true. I, I think it, I've pretty been an engineer for 16 or 17 years now, like almost exclusively, like professionally. Yeah. It's definitely the thing I'm the best at. Um, but I love, I love seeing everything that everybody's working on. And, and every now and then I get a chance to like get in there and flex those other skills still like working at discord. Um, we don't need a full-time writer, but every now and then we need writing tasks. And so I, like, I, volunteer. Yeah, oh, we no, got these, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got these loading tips, like in some of the games, like, you know, while you're, while you're starting up and, uh, I put placeholder ones in there, uh, that oh, were cool. all just like jokes. 
and everyone's like, oh, this is totally, um, this is like Discord's voice, you know, because they're kind of jokey anyway. So then they asked me to write a bunch of jokes for the loading screen. So I, so all the joke loading tips for uh, three or four of our games, I wrote. So that was fun. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Another thing to add to the CV? I guess, yeah. If you yeah. need loading tips, <laughs> I'm well, your guy. It all starts there. I'm sure it'll lead to something else. Right. But, uh, <laughs> cool. Well, hey, uh, I appreciate you taking the time out and doing this. I know it's like right after work for you. So um, thank you. I know it must uh, be a full on day for you. So it's appreciate fun it. to talk. It's fun yeah. to talk about games and, and remember all that, all those old projects. Yeah. So if anyone wants to keep up to date with what you're doing, uh, where's the best place for them to follow you? I am only on Twitter. Nice. One place well, that's, is that's best. That's where I am. Yeah. Any angry rants or anything? I think I'm Panda Mittens <laughs> on Twitter. Panda Mittens? Really? Panda Mittens. Okay. All right. I don't, I don't know why either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it uh, for everything you've done in the industry. And I'm sure you'll just keep going from strength to strength. Hope so. And, uh, yep. And maybe <laughs> you'll be that amazing illustrator that you want to be one day. Sure. That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that is the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. And until next time, stay safe.